Hi, I'm Kosambi and a super hearty welcome to Shelf, the building blocks of commerce by Mason. Here we talk about the most exciting trends and technologies that are reshaping the world of e-commerce from apps to headless to composable to low code to no code. Well, the list is endless. Join in. Hey everybody, uh, welcome back and today I'm very excited because it's double the trouble. I have both G and Casper with me and we're going to talk about not just Mac Alliance but why Mac helps you future-proof your business. Just a quick intro, G is the Chief Revenue Officer at View, View Storefront and Casper is the Global SVP of Tech at Valtech. And both of them are executive board members of the Mac Alliance. And of course, anybody who's in e-commerce now knows what the Mac Alliance is all about. It's a global tech alliance, one of the first of its kinds. And it uh, advocates for open, best-of-breed tech solutions. And it's trying to create an ecosystem that's meaningful for everybody, not just for individual teams. Today, we're going to dive into Mac, not just from a perspective of why microservices, APIs, cloud and headless, why does it help? Why is it composable? Why does it help with, uh, you know, companies growing fast, but also from the perspective of what does it bring for you as a brand in terms of making you and your company successful in the, into the future. But before we dive into all of that stuff, I think quick introduction is on the cards. We'll start with Casper. What do you do, Casper? And why do you do that? Nice to meet you. First and foremost, and thank you very much for uh, for hosting us. As you're saying, we're here to kind of evangelize the mission of Mach and kind of state some of the important elements and the opportunities that it enables for businesses. My name is Casper. I'm the president of the Mach Alliance, and I'm also, as you said, the SVP of technology at Valtech. I'm basically born and raised in digital commerce. Technology is my space and my passion, and just Making businesses thrive is something that I care for each and every day as a consultant. Obviously, as the president of the Alliance, I kind of co-lead the strategy of where we want to go and how we want to push the market further. And we have a range of very exciting types of initiatives planned that we um, potentially can discuss a bit of today. That would be exciting too. And then at Valtech, I lead our strategy for Mach and Composable and also participate in the journey of some of our most important clients in this transition towards future fit and flexibility and agility. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Casper, for being here. And G, over to you. What do you do and why do you feel so passionate about what you do? I feel passionate because I love tech and I love really solving business problems with tech. I had a little bit of an interesting journey having started as a software engineer, but then went into business and spent majority of my career on the business side. So leading the go-to-market team at New Storefront. And um, I have really lived in the Mac uh, composable world for years now. Prior to you, I was on the headless side. So really got to understand more the back end and the headless approach. And uh, in that whole process, I realized that the head is getting quite complex and somebody needs to take care of that also for merchants. And so join View Storefront and as the head, right? The solution that brings all the headless composable together. And uh, we really help both business and tech teams in uh, at merchants by providing tools to get differentiating experiences um, out the door much faster and at a much lower cost than usually and help them really innovate and uh, practice really um, at speed. So, which is really important these days to 
competitive on the brand side it like one thing that you mentioned ji so i think so fundamental to everything that uh, you know for us coming from i think a more wider mid market smb kind of perspective and you coming from uh, uh, maybe more enterprise and mid market but still at the core of it it's about speed and agility right it's about it's about being able to adapt and i think over this last couple of years especially it's become it's like underscored now that uh, things can change at a drop of a hat it's not just segments of customers or consumers that are changing our environment can change over the last uh, you know couple of years uh, e-commerce exploded uh, moved ahead a decade you know, we've seen I've, i've worked in asia we've seen a lot of times you know folks who reached technology reached e-commerce for the first time through their phones never had access to desktops or laptops uh, so a lot it, it, things can change at a drop of a hat and something that uh, you know you're doing at, at map and at view and at uh, valtech is actually to uh, you know underscore that like how do we bring speed and agility to teams and um, i think one very interesting for me was the manifesto of mac in, in general right and i'm going to read it out here for our audience future proof enterprise technology and proper current and future digital experiences and i love that i love the word future proof it's so compelling so i think i'd love both your perspective on on it but maybe start with casper tell us a bit about the alliance itself i think how is it helping teams globally to make this you know kind of like a paradigm shift almost uh, from being monolith to composable first Yeah. So first and foremost, the uh, Mach Alliance is a not-for-profit organization that we founded back in June of 2020. So I can't believe that it's only two, two and a half years ago since that actually saw the light of day for the first time. Our purpose, like you said, is really to evangelize for open enterprise-fitting technology that unlocks a more future-fit ability for businesses going forward. Meaning, we want to make sure that technology is an enabler and never a limitation. So it's also why Mach. is rooted in those four key concepts of microservices of APIs first of cloud native saas and of headless to truly embrace that uncertainty that exists in the market for any type of business any type of enterprise business in particular of this world we are a member led organization we are a community of approximately 70 companies today and we create awareness and education to really help brands and businesses adopt and embrace this way of thinking it is like you're saying a mindset it's a paradigm more than it's simply a technology choice yes standards and technology practices and like engineering craft certainly goes into it but in order for a business to truly benefit from this technology enabler the business also need to think in certain ways and that is also why the awareness and the enablement of mach is so important to us We help teams in many ways but at least the three most important ways that come to mind is that we certify what is mach and what is not meaning we are the this gatekeeper the bouncer like forester would say with regards to the marketplace and the potential shortlist and the span of opportunity that exists and this is of course where our members really fit in across three categories in particular we have ISVs which are the software vendors of this world like view storefront which G is representing today We also have SIs that are system integrators like this could be consultancies and agencies which is what I represent and then we have enablers like some of this common tech that truly accelerate and also align the implementations of these mach architectures on the the brand side another pillar of our organization is really the ambassadors this is where a lot of the practical experience comes through in our messaging and in our thought leadership 
I always say that our ambassadors really brings the scars and this practical experience to life. They bring some of the the hardship that it also brings and some of the true experiences from being a part of a truly transformative type of a process on the brand side. And then the third pillar would be this neutral ground. We are a collection of companies, but what we really do when we get together is that we remove our commercial hat. There is no commercial agenda in our conversation and we take any type of bias away. And we come together in the spirit of this greater good. We try to simplify, we try to improve, we try to clarify to make sure that it becomes easier than ever as a brand or as a business to navigate the market of Mach and the potential journey to Mach as well. So those three pillars I see as being very important as a part of our purpose. Yeah. In your experience, G, as one of the uh, vendors on that are kind of Mach certified, I would say, uh, what benefits do you see? How has it changed more than just being able to, I think, reach out to customers better or be a part of an alliance. I think just in terms of your philosophy as a company or your philosophy of how do you enable change in the ecosystem, has what has been your observations on how things have changed once you've joined the Mac Alliance? Yeah, so I have been actually Mac Alliance with my last company too and, and one of the founders. So I've, I can't actually believe it's been two years only. It's been an amazing journey and really the essence of why we even started talking about the Alliance or this body a couple of years ago is to A, demystify this new architecture that was emerging and B, to purify, to really separate the, the pure play, ISVs as well as SIs, promoting Mach versus maybe some of the more traditional technologies that were trying to uh, and working towards Machifying, right? Make, making their closed technology, right? More, more API. And, and we wanted to really look at how do we help the market? How do we help merchants understand the difference, right? Because everybody sound, sounded the same actually is kind of what was starting to happen. And it was really confusing for merchants. And so really for as an as an ISV, what Mark Alliance provides is that clarity, is that kind of unbiased, almost stamp of approval that, hey, this is a pure play Mark provider. It's built on a modern uh, architecture, modern composable technology, and you can trust it. Right. And so um, kind of separating from from those that um, that are not pure mon. And that's really the, the biggest benefit just having. And this is why, you know, when we get when we work in the alliance, we do remove our commercial hats because we're all really passionate about helping merchants um, just just understand and navigate um, these waters um, a little bit easier than than it might be um, if they, when they're just kind of doing a research and frankly, everybody sounds very similar. Yeah, that's the thing about positioning. I mean, it's it's words and it can be copied. And sometimes it's about uncovering that and understanding what lies behind it, which leads me to the next question, actually. And we'll start with G this time. But, uh, you know, why is it so important? And what why is it important for a merchant, whether a technology stack that they're evaluating or even the uh, architecture that they're planning about, why is it important whether it's API or Mac first versus if it's something that's moving to an API world? Why is that demarcation so important? Yeah, um, well, it is important because the fundamental architecture of these solutions are going to, is going to dictate really how 
they're implemented, how fast they're implemented, how easy and how agile they are. Because we talked already about this agility and that's where pretty much everybody is after these days because we have to innovate fast on the technology side, on the merchant side. How do you set your business up for that? And um, the technologies that are not pure play, Mark, uh, still struggle in those areas. They have opened some of their um, technology, but it is not as agnostic. It is not uh, native fully to cloud. It is not, the APIs may not be as mature. And all of this is going to ultimately slow down the development of new experiences that every merchant is, uh, is looking to do out there. So it really does make a great difference uh, in the fundamental architecture of the solutions that are being used. If I can understand, it's almost like you might have pieces of the puzzle that are, you know, Mark First or API person helps you be agile, but there there will still be pieces of the puzzle that will pull you back and keep you, uh, you know, in the monolith world. Whereas adopting something that's ground up Mark First is uh, going to give you the speed and agility from day one. Absolutely, and that's really where you where you're seeing it, right? Yeah, you will you will be able to achieve some, but you'll continue to hit. The very barriers, right, that, that gave rise to, to Mac and that kept all of us in technology looking for that better architecture, more agile architecture, and so on. And also just this composable, right, this swappability. I've been around for a while and I, I kind of say, you know, we've always pitched best of breed, right? Innovative companies, small companies, but it was just impossible to really achieve that 20 years ago. And today we have, we have standards like APIs, you know, we have we have delivery mechanisms like cloud and so on that has finally made this, what we always knew is the best type of approach for businesses, made it possible. And, and so um, it's not a new concept, but it's, I think it's really so exciting to see it come to life and, and being able to truly see projects being completed in, in a fraction of times than they used to. That's probably the most fun part is kind of seeing customers coming from monoliths and seeing their development timeframes, right? Of how long it's going to help them and kind of sitting on this side, knowing actually you will see that you will go much, much faster. And to, to see that excitement as they, they start to build on these new technologies and how fast they can, they can do things uh, is that's kind of what's worth getting up in the morning. And if I may add, one of the areas that are quite interesting too is that the the scope of Mach is also constantly expanding. Like if you look at it from a value chain standpoint, like clearly being a commerce company as an example, you're generating a lot of value across the entirety of the customer's lifecycle, right? Like, but the scope of Mach is also constantly expanding now when we're starting to see companies potentially starting to innovate with regards to supply and planning, companies starting to innovate with regards to fulfillment and delivery. And we start to see these additional pillars of commerce almost emerging within our own portfolio and thereby the scope of our architecture is becoming much broader than it has been historically and that I, than I think any of us ever imagined when the, uh, when the Mach Alliance was born. So I think it's really interesting to also see that Mach is not as binary as it may be perceived because clearly as a company, as a business, you can't machify your entire stack on day one. You need to figure out where do you truly want to differentiate and where is their value in being agile as a company, meaning what are those must-win battles or those big bets you want to make from a business strategy standpoint. And that's what you need to unlock and enable because it needs to coexist. 
with some degree of traditional thinking too, because clearly on the operational side, when you're starting to talk about warehouse management, when you're starting to talk about HR and you're starting to talk about resource planning and those types of things, then we haven't really made it there from a Mach standpoint yet. But again, I think it's important to say that we will at some point in time, because before we know it, you're starting to also innovate in those spaces and we're starting to rethink those ways of running a business too. Yeah, which leads me kind of, I think it's a good segue to the next question. What could be some of these, if I'm a brand and, uh, you know, I'm looking at uh, adopting a more composable or a swappable architecture today, what could be some of those major drivers for me? What's the checklist, to put it in a dumbed down way, for me to kind of tick off and say that it's time. I got to go composable, I got to go swappable to actually succeed today. So one clearly stands out, and that is the glass ceiling that a lot of companies see of best of suite types of of approaches, right? Where it's a one size fits all, and it's potentially when you reach a certain degree of digital maturity, becoming a limitation to what you can do as a business and what types of opportunities you can react on. We typically see that a transition to Mach, and I need to emphasize the word transition here, is a journey for a company. It's typically not a migration that we see being done over the course of a day, nor over the course of a year, because it's something that's constantly evolving, just like the architecture would be. We see a lot of companies starting to, in the lack of a better word, decompose their existing monolithic setups and the existing monolithic systems they have by starting to actually put in place Mach technology in the places, again, where they want to increase the speed to market, where they want to increase the degree of agility, where they want to unlock commercial opportunity too. And that means over time, it kind of helps you break down that monolith. It helps you simplify, or I guess not necessarily simplify, but at least take away the responsibility from those major applications that seem to do it all historically, and thereby transition it into a composable architecture service by service. We also see in general that a lot of brands are starting from a customer experience standpoint. Clearly, headless is a prerequisite for this type of an architecture to really be possible. And we also see it from a capability standpoint, often being organized around, for instance, capabilities like search and merchandising. It could be auto management. It could be product information management. It could be content. And it could also be transactional commerce. Like what are some of those digital capabilities that you truly want to start with and thereby start to remove from your um, monolithic setup and into a more of a composable type of ecosystem. So it's really about the question of how and in what sequence as well you want to facilitate this transformation or this transition. And G, what has been your observations on the head itself, right? Experience can be, uh, I mean, it's a great mix of data and, and design and uh, also customer experience in some ways. Like a lot of different things have to come together to actually drive really stellar shopping experiences to our you know, consumers on the other side. And uh, when, um, you know, someone's talking about a composable stack, of course, usually the first thing that they think about is that how do I ensure that my experience to customers is, is more composable and more headless in nature? So what could be some of those drivers from an experience point of view, not only from an infrastructure point of view, that, uh, you know, let someone, lets a brand start thinking that, hey, like, we got to go composable and we got to go headless now. Yeah, absolutely. So one big driver actually for, for composable and for these projects has been omnichannel. We all have to meet today customers, no matter where they are in their journey or how they decide to engage with us. 
And so oftentimes this is uh, one of the starting points of, of looking at how to do that best. And frankly, when you start looking at omnichannel, this is where monolithic um, solution quickly kind of break down because they typically were created for just one channel and they were created um, quite a while, quite a while ago. So that's that's one often driver that we see. But you're right in terms of the head, everything has to come uh, together and everything needs to come together to the customer experience, right? And for every brand, there is a lot of focus these days because ultimately experience is what drives revenue. And so the, we are seeing increased focus on, especially when it comes to kind of this transition to uh, composable, the question is really in sequencing, right? And um, sequences, as Casper mentioned, could be, you can start from all kinds of different parts of your stack but in this day and age, and you know, with with the economy that we're facing, we're seeing that merchants are, are really focusing on that experience and making sure that that is as fast as it can be, that is and as engaging it can be. We're seeing a lot of merchants really looking to kind of deliver a story around their brand. So content is becoming very key for driving the conversions and and driving that revenue. So that's, those are some of the trends that we're seeing really that focus on conversion as well as the omni-channel, right? Just being there at the right place at the right time um, along the journey for, for their customers. Yeah. And I was, uh, you know, I think it's common knowledge and I was reading uh, in some reports sometime back today on an average, a consumer is interfacing with a brand like seven to nine times before they actually make a decision to buy. And that really ties in very strongly with the omni-channel and, and connecting the dots in customer experience. And without a composable architecture, without being headless, how do you even start thinking in that direction, right? Exactly. It, it's running to my mind, you know, one of the interesting things about going, you know, into this direction of a of a Lego-like architecture, everybody, by the way, uh, like I've, I've been speaking to so many people in, in Composable over this past a month, and one common thread of explanation is Lego, right? Like it's a, like a set of Lego blocks that come together. Personally, a big fan of, of I have always been a big fan of playing with Lego, uh, even as an adult. So, uh, you know, more power to that uh, explanation and that concept. But I think one interesting thing over there in nuance is that all vendors, all different systems actually have to come together. I think it's not just a Mac Alliance as a community, but also like as systems and as products and as, uh, you know, different parts of the infrastructure of the supply chain of commerce in a way. All of them have to actually bring, come together and uh, really work well together end to end uh, to deliver the best experience to the customer on the other side without failing them at any point in that whole journey. So do you see any early hiccups or drawbacks that a brand might have to, you know, keep keep in mind and be conscious about as they're moving to a more distributed architecture versus having like a core platform that manages everything end to end? Yeah, for sure. And I just want to challenge you for a second because I would even ask the question, has there ever been that single platform? Because if you're thinking about the customer's journey in its entirety, you're talking omni-channel, you're talking about the breadth of interaction that customers are going through, it could be customer service, then it has for ages been a distributed architecture you've been referring to because there is no single throat to choke. There is no single unicorn platform within that mix because of the breadth. 
And what we can do now with Mach is to actually orchestrate all of the systems and all of the types of capabilities and services that goes into serving that customer through a single type of technology architecture across. So I don't agree necessarily with the statement of a single platform or a single throat to choke, because I think by nature, it has been a very distributed and extremely fragmented architecture. Historically, businesses just haven't realized it because they've been organized around channels. And that's what we want to also come in and change with this type of movement, right? Because like G said, the customer is funny enough moving across. But there are certainly a few hiccups because instead of being prescribed or potentially influenced by what the platform does, now it's down to you as a business, you identifying the type of solution that you need, meaning it's a business first type of design that you need to do from an architectural standpoint. You need to choose the best, best of rates for you. You need the right tools for the job, the right types of capabilities that fit the opportunities that are ahead. And you need to compose your own solution. It also means that the stack that you're going to work with doesn't prescribe or influence the types of features. No, that all comes down to a business first type of a design, meaning you own your own destiny and there is not this glass ceiling that I referred to before. That also sometimes put maturity to the test because it's very easy to talk about feature by feature and it's very easy to talk about what the website must be able to do. Here we're talking about like true omni-channel like orchestration of customer experiences, right? And understanding what should the brand actually do at what type of stage of the journey in which type of interaction. And that is something that potentially can be fairly complicated if you don't have a grip of who your customers are or what they actually want from your brand or where your brand is different and where you potentially can simply use commodities in order to solve for the indifference. So going through that business first type of a design process at least we at Valtech typically see being a potential hurdle or at least a process that we need to support the business to go through to make sure that they simply comp compose their own solution too and don't just end up expecting that the features are being prescribed by the actual vendors that they choose to bring in. Mm. And help our audience actually visualize that, right? Like what does business first architecture really mean? Can you give an example of maybe one of your, one of the brands that you can talk about that has actually gone from thinking, I think systems first to business first and, and hence being able to chart this journey of composable. Yeah. So for instance, what a business needs to identify would be where are we different and where are we not? And where do we need to be different to our customers? Where there is no difference in our messaging or in our go-to-market, we need to accelerate the introduction of capabilities, right? And this is where cloud-native SaaS, for instance, come in. There's freedom of choice in that. And it's about selecting the right content system. It's around selecting the right commerce system, the right subscription system, in whatever place it makes sense, where you're not simply being provided with a piece of common tech that other brands can also potentially embrace. So really understanding from a customer journey standpoint, where does the customer expect differentiation from your brand and where do they expect some type of white glove service or treatment that you only can provide is important because that's how you start to understand your built versus buying mix that you ultimately need to go through. Like that's something that undoubtedly is a part of a composable architecture or a Mach journey. The fact that you want to accelerate certain capabilities by using cloud-native SaaS and bring some of those off-the-shelf solutions into the mix, 
But in other places where you're different as a business, you want to build it yourself to make sure that you own the IP, you own the differentiation that capability provide. And one example could be some of the work that we at Valtech are doing, for instance, with uh, M&Ms, the small confection brand, where we're talking about, okay, are they going to win the, the space by having ads to bag and by being able to drive promotions? No, that's not differentiation for confection with regards to M&Ms. No, this is really about being able to provide personalized configuration options of M&Ms. And this is the space where they need to invest in building over buying. And that mix of really having to execute on that freedom of choice, bringing in the right types of commodities to accelerate the places where you're indifferent or you want to be indifferent, and then building for the places that matter for your customers and where they see you having to be different, is extremely important. And that starts with an understanding of, of what your business strategy is, how digital plays into it, and also what your customer expects of you. Like really a good understanding of the customer is a good place to start. Yeah. And I'll put the spotlight on G now. I'd love for an example of, uh, you know, something that, that actually you've seen, a brand that's uh, gone or rather started the journey and you've been a part of it and you've actually seen uh, the business implications of that movement. Yeah, for sure. And and I really echo everything that Casper um, said in terms of kind of the starting point, right? And, and, and it is typically the customer and it really should be that differentiation. The other thing that I would make is, point I would make is that I think that sometimes, right, uh, the composable or, or the integrations themselves for, for those of us that have been around for a little while uh, could seem scary, could seem too hard. And I would say that, you know, the composable market in general has thought about that. And this is why you see a lot of talk about orchestration. And certainly one of the things that the head needs to do is orchestrate and bring these things together. And it does. And it really has simplified that piece so that it's not scary and it's not detractor. One of the areas where we work a lot is in multi-brand organizations right? Because they have magnitude, really, of, of all of this that we've talked about. And so how do they go across, you know, to the market, both unified and unique way for each brand? An example that, that um, I think is really good in, in this regard is uh, Berlin Brands. And um, they have several major brands that they are that, that they're supporting and they continue to grow this is their growth strategies is the acquisition of brands and so the main goal of their strategy is to create a framework that can be then reused across the brands so again this buy versus build everything that is not um, differentiating across the brands to make it really a standard and to make it uh, a template in a sense right to to make this architecture common and then really allow each brand to innovate at speed mainly through content through product etc and and being able to to do that really fast and it's kind of coming back to that just the journey that they thought they would take and, and they thought, okay, you know, it's going to take us a few months for a few, for first brand. And then we're going to introduce, you know, every quarter or every few months kind of, you know, additional brands. And indeed for the first brand, it took them about four months. And then we were actually surprised because it started every month they were introducing you. It, it just, it sped up so much beyond their expectations and they were able to um, to really um, get all of their brands on the Mach composable architecture uh, in third of the time that they planned. 
Um, but this is something common that, that we see and, and that we very much promote because there are areas that um, you should own and that you should innovate on and should differentiate on. But there are other areas that really should be commodities and another merchant should not pay for something that hundreds of merchants already paid, right? And that's, that's what we're trying to do uh, in Composable. It's, it's to commoditize as much of the common as possible, make that really easy, and then allow brands to focus on that. That most important piece, right? That they should always own, which is a differentiator of the customer experience. Yeah, that's a great example, you know, multi-brand. I think one example that always stands out for me, apart from multi-brand, is also cross-border. Like with cross-border commerce being so relevant right now, I do see how, uh, you know, being composable, being headless, having an architecture that's more, you know, plug and play can actually help you really accelerate, uh, you know, your launch in any different region. And I'm from India, originally from Bangalore in India. And, uh, you know, we are a multicultural, multi-language nation. And so even for a specific brand to really hit across different geographies within the country. A lot of times it's all about multilingual, multiracial and really local experiences. And uh, I can really see uh, how uh, such an architecture can help impact that in the longer term. But I think it's the same in Europe. You're, there's a lot of different, you know, I, I was working with a brand recently and they, you know, from uh, Spain to uh, Manchester uh, to now going to Canada and U.S. And they are able to do all that because of a composable architecture. So I love those examples. Thank you so much for both. And if I may, just to just to expand on that multi-language, sometimes I refer to it as being multi-anything, where you're talking about multi-business model, like B2B2C, direct-to-consumer, B2B businesses. You're talking about multi-channel, where it's be anywhere where your customers are. And then you're talking about multilingual, multi-region, uh, right? Also making sure that you have market fit, for instance, with the types of payment options that you need to provide, with the types of logistical partners that you need to use, even with the types of customer experiences that you need to provide, simply because the expectation of the customer varies quite greatly if you look across the world the Western Hemisphere versus the Eastern Hemisphere and so forth. So multi-anything is kind of how we sometimes talk about the flexibility this type of an architecture provides. So you can align and, and find a common approach to the places that doesn't require differentiation, but then at the same time, you can also start to create flexibility in the areas that matter to your business. Totally, uh, with you there. And, you know, one thought that was crossing my mind is that a lot of times when you know, you read about Mac in general, composable architecture in general. And there's this almost like this kind of a, uh, you know, a mental model that people get into that this is pretty much my last major replatforming effort ever, right? I, I can continuously evolve my ecosystem, my own business and whatever stack that I need. As I evolve, uh, you know, my stack will continue to evolve piece by piece on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. Do you think this is a super tall claim or is it something so really, really fundamental to, to this whole movement? No, I mean, I think that's exactly the idea, right? The idea is, is that business doesn't stop. Business innovates. Market changes right and every business needs to be able to to do what's right for them at that time and so really what this composable or swappable in this case architecture allow is for businesses to continue to choose the best solutions for them because as the needs evolve, the solutions may be different right um, and you were kind of talking earlier about even for going from a smaller business to mid-sized business to large right as, as companies grow 
their needs are going to grow. What shouldn't change is the fundamental architecture. They shouldn't have to redo everything every time at kind of at every juncture of their business. They should be able to adjust those parts that are changing and and do that in a in a quick fashion, right? And so I, it is really then just iterating, right? Which has always been the case. But what we had in the past is we had this major kind of slowdowns setbacks every single time and now it's really meant to be more more iterative more agile as we talked about quite a bit here in this conversation and assuming that that's exactly what's going to happen that the business will change the need will change and so will the stack and there are just certain types of qualities of also the engineering that you need to put into these types of architectures that allow for this never replatform notion like the fact that you approach integrations through a decoupled approach that is event-driven naturally allows for much more flexibility in what that source or destination system is. So while you can embrace and create a Mach monolith, we've also seen some of those, unfortunately. There are just certain qualities that kind of enable you to also grow with the architecture. And as I previously said, the scope of the architecture is also expanding, meaning the way the architecture looks today the principles are static, meaning it looks common, but it will grow in the actual reach of the types of digital touch points, of the types of digital capabilities, of the types of processes and people it impact. Like that will constantly grow. And I also think that's where some of the future fitting and this notion of never replatform come from, because there is no border to the architecture. You don't fit into a box. It's not a pass environment where you suddenly end up mixing up your IP with a vendor's IP. No, you're relying on SaaS, which is API first, and thereby you approach integrations in a, a good standard practice way. And then you invest in building out what makes you different, meaning that's your IP going forward. And those have no glass ceilings, right? Like what you own, you can evolve as you see fit. Okay, love that. Uh, it's almost like you're getting your hands on something that uh, not just grows with you as a business, uh, you know, from when you start till till you grow across multiple brands, multiple regions, multiple segments of customers, channels, etc. Uh, but it's almost like it's something that empowers you to sell anywhere, anytime, and to anyone uh, without really having to worry about what's powering that anymore. And that is really where this notion of agile comes from, right? Like appreciate the uncertainty that exists in this world, meaning who knows what the customers needs and wants are in two years time none of us were able to predict that two years ago likely we can't predict what's going to happen in two years from today that's what we need technology to help us achieve or help us um yeah just solve for right and that's where it needs to be open and future fitting enough g any any final words or uh, you know advice that you'd like to share uh, with brands who are kind of on the verge of replatforming to a composable architecture and they're kind of, you know, at the cusp and wondering whether to take that plunge or not. Yeah, I think that's, I would maybe turn it the other way, right? Like in, in looking at this decision, I would ask what is actual cost of the status quo, right? Because I, we talk about replatforming and so on and, and, and for, for folks that may seem like a major body of work, but not being able to to innovate at speed, you know, how much does that really cost the business, right? Not being able to engage with customers on all channels, um, not being able to experiment really with with new revenue streams. Having, you know, for, we hear a lot on the on the back end, right? Even the smallest things, 
things taking uh, weeks or months to accomplish, right? So all of these things kind of add to lost revenue. And that every time that we go through this exercise of understanding the cost of status quo far outreaches the effort and the cost of uh, moving to composable, right? And, um, and we talked a little bit about I think Casper touched on it. it. It's not a rip and replace. Um, you know, that that's not really, it's, it's the transition. So really looking at where that differentiation is and where the journey should start. These days, again, um, a lot of merchants are looking to start with experience to really kind of sequence from there and improve the customer engagement and conversion. And, you know, that, that seems to be, you know, where a lot of projects are starting. But yes, I would, as people are sitting on this decision, I would just really look at what does it cost not to do something. And I think that would be far greater. Yeah. Is there a simple way, Casper, for people to actually, you know, identify the cost, evaluate the cost uh, without having to go through a lot of brainstorming and kind of uh, soul searching? The opportunity cost? Yep, the opportunity cost. Like there are benchmarks, clearly, like we're bringing omnichannel benchmarks in play, for instance, when we need to quantif quantify that, that opportunity cost, the cost of missing out. So there are certainly benchmarks that companies can leverage for what is the impact of actually driving commerce across channels and being omni-channel uh, enabled. And those are simply benchmarks that you can apply on top of your existing commercial and revenue models to see what is the potential, the uplift potential from it. And then G also mentioned something, I would say, quote unquote, as simple as being page speed and other key factors to conversion to. Like don't underestimate the level of positive impact something like that can have on your business. So there are even small, easy to collect revenue opportunities for the majority of businesses out there. That is not depending on a five-year execution plan and something that is very grand and complex. No, there is even small opportunities to collect on the near term too. That could absolutely go into that uh, opportunity cost calculation that G was referring yeah, would love it if you could share, you know, uh, some of these benchmarks. We'll link it to the show notes and will definitely help a lot of our audience, uh, you know, start at least on the journey of evaluation and uh, see, uh, uh, you know, how can thinking about a composable first architecture help them in the long run. And uh, thank you both, Casper and G. It's been super, super insightful for me, honestly. And uh, I learned a ton and uh, it was great talking to both of you. Would love to bring you back at a later point again on some episode, you know, as we go through the journey of learning a lot about how different companies and different brands are adopting and how they're, uh, uh, you know, what are some of the maybe challenges they're facing and bring you back again to kind of address that at uh, maybe next quarter. So thank you so much again. And uh, yeah, that's a wrap uh, for today. Uh, uh, both Casper and G are on LinkedIn, I think uh, on Twitter. But if Twitter still is around <laughs> in a few months, I guess on Twitter too. And uh, we'll link both of their, uh, you know, uh, their profiles on, on our show notes. So you can reach out to them if you are super curious about the Mac alliance and want to dabble in this whole new framework and want to actually move composable thank you everybody and thanks both of you thanks for hosting thank you and that's it that was awesome and thank you folks for listening in if you enjoyed the chat don't forget to subscribe to our podcast right here and of course do hop on to mason at www.getmason.io
that's www.getmason.io we got more ace in the hole insights conversion tips and just everything that you need to scale your e-commerce brand catch you next time